Well, good evening. Welcome along to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith. And today's special guest is Darren Jackson. How are you, Darren? I'm brilliant, Steve. Um, obviously, it's a, you're a little ahead of the game down there, the lockdown, but we've still got um, uh, issues up here and none of the pubs are open or the, a few, only the few of the shops are open. So we're still on a bit semi-lockdown, but it's been fine. It's been okay. Yeah, well, that's good, mate. As long as you're managing to keep fit and keep yourself sane, I think that's that's all you can really do. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll we'll get back to some kind of normality sooner rather than later, you know. Um, been an interesting week because I've had a, a few of your former colleagues uh, on the show. We've had Rob McDonald on, we've had Mirandina on, you know, people who played in the same era as you. Tell us about how you first came to, to sign for Newcastle United. Well, I was playing for Meadowbank, Thistle, and um, I got a phone call from Terry Christie, the manager, and said, um, we've accepted a bid from Newcastle. It was a Tuesday. We've accepted a bid from Newcastle. I'm dr- we're going down to Coldstream, um, to one of the director's houses, uh, houses that night, to sort the deal out. And obviously, there was, no, there was never going to be any problem. It was um, Mr. Forbes' house. And um, we drove down, signed it. As I say, there was no agents then, and um, well, there were agents then, but I didn't have an agent. And Terry did, Terry Christie, the manager, did the deal for me, and um, and that was it. And I, I tell I tell a story, Steve, that um, I played for Meadowbank Thistle against Cowden Beef at Station Park. Now, anybody that doesn't know Station Park, they have the car rallies. You have to be when they play the games. You have to be out by right after the game. So they have the car rally. That's that's their main income. Yeah. And so um, I played there on the Saturday, one Saturday, in front of three hundred people. And the following Saturday, I played against Arsenal at St James's, um, in front of 30, 35,000. Wow. Tony Adams. Rowcastle, Michael Thomas. I mean, the real good side. Um, so it was a, it was a little bit different. <laughs> Three hundred people to thirty five thousand. Incredible, incredible Geordies. What was your first impression of the the, the crowd and 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 St James's Park as a ground? Well, I'd never I'd never been, Steve, and I, I went into the game and. Went in the dress room, Willie McFall had, had went in the dress room and Peter Beasley actually took me and showed me around, around the, the stadium and onto the pitch and all that. And then, and then I, I sat in the team talk and I'm thinking, I knew, obviously I knew Peter Beasley. I'll be, I tell you truthfully, I didn't really know a lot of the other players. Yeah. And I did know this young kid that the manager was going to have his actually team talk about. And it was just about Gaza. Gaza, yeah, and Gaza this, and yeah, Gaza do that, and and I'm thinking, who's this? And then when the game started, <laughs> I realised <laughs> <laughs> that there's someone special here, and um, and obviously Peter and the rest of the boys, Glenn, John Anderson, Kenny Wharton, Michael, um, Martin Thomas and goals, Dave McCreary, um Ian Stewart, who I really got really friendly with because we lived just beside each other, we used to travel together and um, Tony Cunningham, uh, just it was Neil McDonald, Paul Stevenson, I can go on. It was just, it was amazing, Steve, I've got to say honestly, and I'm not just, I'm not saying that because I'm on this with you and it was just for a young guy who's only played part-time to come down and play in a stadium like this in front of fans like that, it was just, it was uh, his dreams come true, and that's it's a, it's a, a, a statement that people say it was, it was a dream come true. It was a dream come true. We've seen players over the years. I certainly have as a fan who've crumbled under the atmosphere. Did you did you buzz off the atmosphere, or did you did, you know did you feel the pressure at first? <laughs> well, you feel. Listen, you you like you, you you need the pressure. You need you need that to to. to but I played like I, I obviously. Moving on, when I came back, I had two years and I came back and people saying that no really work out for you. I played something like 78 games in two years as a 19-year-old coming down and playing in the top top flight in England. Going to, going to Anfield and going to Old Trafford and going to White Hart Lane, going to Highbury. I played at Highbury three times, never lost. Do you know what I mean? So 
I, I would like to think Willie McFall had loads of faith in me and I think I, I, I did quite well. So I, I did thrive in it. I've, I've always kind of thrived on the, the sort of, I'm not saying the big, big occasions, but just the, the crowd and just the buzz and expectations because, listen, there is expectations at Newcastle because the fans demand it. To be truthful, they demand that, that you just give everything every single week. That's the, the, obviously they've not won anything for a long time, and it's it's heartbreaking um, for the club, for the town, for the fans. But it was um, it was just honestly, it was an honour. It was just I, I loved every single minute of it, and I, and I, I came back when I saw you. When I came back and um, I came down with Karen, my girlfriend, and to the Huddersfield game, and the taxi driver actually pulled up right outside the ground, and this is honest truth, it pulled up right where the day I left, I sat outside the ground, and I'll be truthful, I broke my heart, wow. um, because I was leaving, I was going to done United, Jim Smith came in and just said, I need money, I'm sorry, I'm not really wanting to lose you, but I need money, and I, 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 I was I was fine. Just went back up the road, but I was I sat. I was, it was amazing how the taxi driver just pulled outside that actual spot, and I just sat and broke my heart. Mark Corby runs a page called 1998 and 1994 NUFC. Concentrates on the era that you know you and so many other great players played. Um, he's asked quite a few questions, and um, one of them was, "Do you think Willie McFall would have got it right at Newcastle if he'd been given a bit more time?" Well, it's easy. It's easy to say now. Do you know what I mean? Hindsight's a, hindsight's a great thing. But I think he signed good players. I mean, I'm going to be biased. John Robertson, who he brought down, Robbo was just a goal scorer. He just needed a goal. Dave Besson did, did really well. Andy Thorne did really well. John Henry did really well in his career. Um, wherever, wherever they went. So yes, I think Willie Suggy was the, the the kind of tactical coach then with John Pickering who obviously sadly died a few years ago, who was a wonderful coach. Willie was brilliant man management, man, man management. And he just, the way he treated his players, the way everybody, again, <laughs> people think I just cry all the time, but I broke my heart when Willie left because obviously he signed me and he was an amazing man and he was a good manager. And as I say, hindsight's always, always, uh, it might have kicked on. I do think, I do think he would have got it right, yes. That's fair enough. He also asked, which we just touched on a little bit, about Jim Smith. Obviously, he needed money to buy players when he came in. So, he just said, how disappointed were you when, you know, he said that you were surplus to requirements because he needed to bring money in? I mean, <clears throat> at the time, I was just a, a young boy. I was 21. And, and stupidly, nowadays, you probably have advisors saying, maybe it's no, just sit there just now someone else might come in in England, things might change, but it just, I think he had a good relationship with Jim McLean, and Jim McLean uh, tried to sign me a couple of times, and um, he had a good relationship with him, and he just says, listen, I need money, he did it to be, obviously, John Robertson, the week before, going back to Hearts, and um, he just said, and I was just, I was, listen, I was obviously broken hearted that I was leaving, but, as I say, he just he, that, that's he needed money, and he, he was dead truthful. There was no issues, um, so it happened. And do you have regrets? I, I don't really have regrets in my career, but I would have loved to have stayed longer. Yes. Um, I'll give Mark one last question. He said, "You played up front, you played midfield, and you played right back at one stage. What do you consider your best position at Newcastle United?" No right back, Steve. <laughs> I actually I played right back at Anfield. Yeah. When we when we beat them two one. Yeah. Um, John Henry and Mirror scored. Like um Gary Gillespie scored after four minutes. And before that game, John Barnes, I had a fitness test and John Barnes had a fitness test. So obviously I was playing right back and he'd be playing left mid. Yeah. And he failed his fitness test, so it made it a lot easier for me to pass. <laughs> and I'm, 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 I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think Steve Staunton made his debut oh. um, that day. I think so. Um, and he got taken off. So I did okay, but definitely no. I, I wasn't. I couldn't. I couldn't defend for my life. Even when I loved playing in midfield and I loved playing up front, it didn't. It didn't matter to me. 
Um, and it wasn't a case of, oh, I just wanted to be in the team. It's through my whole career. I love being like, that's, I think I scored something like 131 goals. I wasn't a natural goal scorer because I wanted to take part in the game all the time. And, and, and to, don't take this out of context. Probably a bit like Peter. Peter Bearsley did so much work for every, everybody else and created so many goals. If Peter had probably been a little bit more selfish, Peter would have scored a lot more goals with, with his ability and um, his massive talent. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, next question uh, is from Chris Finley, Toon Boy on Twitter. He says, uh, we always get bizarre ones, so be prepared. Can you ask him if he has a cousin called Steph? I can't remember his surname. I went to school with a kid in air who claimed Darren was his cousin, but I was always sceptical. Unfortunately not. <laughs> <laughs> That's cleared that up, hopefully, Chris. Uh, Paul Moran says, um, a bit like Perez, uh, Darren was signed for the development squad, but was fast-tracked to the first team. Can he remember much of his debut? Um, well, I actually came on <clears throat> that Arsenal game and... I don't know if you can get video clips, but Tony Adams actually brought me down for a penalty and we never got it. Right. And I, wish, I just wish we'd had VAR then because it was a penalty. Um, so that was my debut, but obviously the, the, my first goal being the West Ham game, um, I came on against sub. And as, as I just mentioned about the, the genius, Peter went to the byline, cut it back and I put it in. And, um, I was fast. I mean... I probably, like saying I was fast-tracked, I got in the team right away, Steve. I mean, the first week I was down, I was sub, and you only had one sub then. Mm. So, like, obviously I think I'm going down, I'm going to be in the reserves, and I'll play a wee bit part here and there, but I got, I got in right away. And, I mean, <clears throat> um, Wally must have thought I was good enough, even yeah. though when you look back, a picture behind you, Steve, I was probably about nine and a half stone. Wow. <laughs> um, so I wasn't developed or anything. And, but he, as I say, he, he saw enough in my ability and my desire and commitment that I, pl I, pl I played nearly. And I think there was only one time I was, I was injured for four weeks with a thigh strain in my whole time there. And there was only once I wasn't stripped and that was against Man United at home. So I think Suggy uh, was in charge. And he didn't, which was cool. He wasn't on the bench, but that was the only time, apart from the four weeks injured, that I wasn't stripped. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's a good point. Um, you know, Perez was like that. He was brought down as a development player. You know, I was here, Perez at Newcastle, and he was fast tracked into the team straight away because Newcastle needed to do injuries, you know, and obviously they thought he was good enough and he, he never really looked back. So, um, um, next question Stephen Smith says, What was your most enjoyable game for Newcastle United in your spell at the club? Um, well, winning at Anfield's obviously brilliant, even though I played right back, you're, you're going to Anfield, Highbury. We went to, it probably wasn't my best, I wouldn't say this was my best game, but we were near the relegation, Stephen. We went down midweek game to Highbury and beat Arsenal 1-0. And I mean, going to Highbury was just uh, walking in and like my, my one of my heroes was Charlie Nicholas. Charlie Nicholas was playing for Arsenal at the time. So, but... God, I mean, the Swindon 5-0 game was, was brilliant. We beat Man United at home when Glenn scored, Glenn Roder scored. Um, so, listen, there's, there's, there's loads of games I enjoyed, but for probably because that result kept us up, um, winning at Highbury was probably the, the best. Yeah, I mean there were so many great games. That Swindon game was 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 fantastic. As you know, there's there was just it was just one of those eras. The Blackpool night stood out for for some reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. Crystal Palace in the cup. Um, you know, there's loads of loads of particular games that stick out from that mirror. But that Swindon one was just a, a fantastic, a fantastic day, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was lucky enough to score that day, and probably arguably my best goal from Newcastle. So um, it was. We were just. Everybody was just on it. And, and Steve, see, when you look back, and, and, and uh, listen, again, don't take it out of context, but when you, you look, talk about the class of 92, I mean, when you, you think that Willie played Neil McDonald, Gaza, 
Steve, Brian Tinian, Bogey, Michael O'Neill, myself. Do you know what I mean? It's and then there was obviously other others in there, but he, he had no problem putting them in. And, and at the same at the same time, there were probably <clears throat> five under twenty ones probably in the, t- in the team at, at the time. But the experience we had, and again, I was lucky enough to play with Paul Goddard, who was just out of this world as a striker, a number nine, and as a guy, he was a bit, as a striker, he was just incredible. But we had the Goddard, we had Peter, we had John Anderson, we had Glenn, we had um, Davy Mack, I mean, Kenny Wharton, um, budding goals. We just had an unbelievable nucleus of great experienced players, great pros, and that obviously helped the young kids with their enthusiasm. I think the older ones rubbed off on that and that they got a buzz from the young kids running about and um, just putting the work in and just the desire they had. Keith Wilkinson's uh, got a couple of questions. He says, apart from Gaza, who was the best player that you played with at Newcastle? It's going to be Peter. I mean, Sar- don't, don't get me wrong, Sarge is up there. Sarge, Paul Goddard was, as I've just said, an incredible striker for the size of him. I've never, I don't think I've seen anybody as good holding the ball up in Lincoln play for the size he was, the way he used his body, his finisher. I mean, Sarge had something like a size five feet. He was, but what a player! But Peter was a genius. Peter was just incredible. Some days in training, he was just you. You just had to actually stand back and just go, "Wow!" He was incredible, and I think every anybody um, who's a Newcastle fan, I'd imagine he's up there in the top. <laughs> he's up there in the top three, four. I mean, I know there's 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 loads of legends and wonderful players that played, but Peter's up there. I would I would. Case. 100% he's my number one mate I've, and I saw him twice you know I was lucky enough to see him in the uh, 83-84 season and then see him when he came back to the club as well you know a, a fan, fantastic that that promotion season in 83-84 is is one of those that was my first season as a fan so to, uh, to then follow him on until um, you know he, he was eventually sold um, you know, I, don't know goal, I don't know who the goal was against but the one he's kind of slid in at the edge of the box and lifted over the love to keep her uh, Brighton at home, last home game yeah. of the season in the promotion season when Keegan, Beardsley and Waddle all scored and he, he just did that 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 manoeuvre, didn't he, where he slide tackled and got back up in one manoeuvre and then just chipped Joe Corrigan. It's fantastic. Sensational. I mean, that's talent. That's, that's, that's you, you, you don't see that, like, just his, his thought process. Yeah. That's what he had in there. Some other guys would just maybe try and smash it or Bend it or, but he just his thought process was just brilliant. Yeah, and he's still like that today, even in the Pavel Cup. And uh, it, it always makes me laugh whenever we, whenever we have those charity games that Peter plays in. The first thing he says to whoever's managing the team that he's in is, "Don't take us off." He's still <laughs> as enthusiastic as he was back in the day, which which amazes me. Oh, they will be. Listen, we all are. I've I've hurt my groin. I'm struggling to play now. And, and my, my hips a little bit sore, but we all have that. We all have that desire to keep. Like when I played in games, I always wanted to score because yeah. I just get that buzzy scoring hit, hit the net again. It's just we all have that. So I can imagine. And Peter had that in abundance. He did. Keith Wilkinson's other question. Uh, he said, "You are Michael O'Neill's best man. Do you still speak to him? And are you surprised how well he's done as a manager?" Um, well, again, it's one of those questions. It's easy to say yes. Um, I, I still speak to him, yes, a lot. I still speak to him all the time. Um, we're still best pals with it. Newcastle done United hips together. So, um, I am, uh, no, I'm not surprised because he's a clever, clever guy. I mean, when he came over, Steve, Mike, Michael came over, but he's, he, he went to school in the afternoon. He had to finish his schooling. So he trained in the morning and, and he went to school in the afternoon. So he was a clever boy anyway. And I mean, academically, um, he was a, a financial advisor. So very clever in that aspect. But just just on the game and the, the way I, he speaks to me about the, the way that with Northern Ireland and all that, he's not, he's not one, a lot of people want to use the big words now and 
<laughs> and they complicate things. Michael doesn't Michael doesn't complicate it. He just says it how it is and um, sees it how it is. But obviously, I, I can only see him going further. Yes, Stoke have had a couple of bad results. Got a massive game today against Barnsley, um, and they're, they've moved into the bottom three. You don't know what's what's going to happen with Wigan, but I genuinely hope this. I think they will survive. But Michael only will only go one way because he's excellent on the game and a very clever guy. Steve B on Twitter asks, who was your Newcastle United unsung hero while you were playing for us? Bearing in mind all the flair players that we had and, and, and he, he, he points out that you would probably praise Gaza. Uh, he said he loved the likes of Kenny Wharton, Peter Haddock, Imre Verardi, who was before your time, Alan yeah. Brown, Wes Saunders in that era. So who at the time when you were at the club was the unsung hero? Well, none of them are really unsung because they were they were heroes. And I, I've just mentioned Paul Goddard, but I've got to mention Davy Mack. Yeah, Dave McCreary was just <laughs> like I was. I was. I think I was tell, telling Karen the other day that we were talking about pre-season because I've been helping a few young kids, taking them and helping them get prepared for pre-season and uh, doing some running and all that. And I was speaking about Davy Mack. Now, Davy Mack was probably the worst I have ever seen pre-season long runs. I mean, he would be lapped three times by people. Gaza was excellent. But he'd be lapped three times by people and all that. But see, when the game started, yeah. David Mack would go and play two games. It was just like, you look, you look at Angolo Kanti now. That was David Mack, mm. like 30 years ago. I mean, he just anticipated where the ball was. Just, uh, it, didn't, it didn't react when the boy's going to control it. It didn't react. He was there. He was as soon as the boy controlled it, he was there stealing the ball. And he David Mack just played it simple. And, and, and I'm sure if you, you were to ask Gaza um who played a big part in Newcastle, and I would say it would be David Mack because David let him go and play and he just did all the dirty work. And listen, listen, Gaza worked really hard, very hard, but defensively probably wasn't fantastic. And uh, so I would think Gaza would praise uh, David Mack as well. I was only a kid when uh, Newcastle were promoted in 83-84. But we did, uh, my dad took me down to see uh, Newcastle play Gateshead at Gateshead Stadium. And it was just after we'd been promoted. And uh, the full squad was there. Keegan, Waddle, Beardsley, Terry McDermott and David McCreary. So like all young lads of of that era, I stood outside the the dressing room after the game, uh, waiting for the players to come out to get me programme signed. My dad was waiting with us. And uh, my dad's name is John. And um, on this particular occasion, Chris Waddle comes out, signs me programme. Peter Beardsley came out, signed me programme. Uh, Terry Mack came out, signed me programme. And then David McCreary comes out. And as David McCreary comes out, he goes, all right, John. And then he signs me programme. Well, I was flabbergasted because I thought, wow, David McCreary knows me dad. And it wasn't until uh, it wasn't until I got back home, you know, and I, I was telling my mum the story that my dad goes, "What? Hold on a minute, what? I know David McCreary," and um, I went, "Yeah, well, he said hello, John." He went, "Oh, that's what Irishmen say when they say hello to somebody who they don't know." <laughs> <laughs> so my little dream was shattered there as a uh, as a kid, as an eleven-year-old going on twelve-year-old. I thought my dad was a friend of the stars, but never mind. I did get a chance to meet David and uh, do a bit of work with him a few years later. So uh, I did. Uh, did tell him that story. Um, next question. Uh, Texie Smith, he says, um, I loved watching Darren play for Newcastle. Uh, I always had him as one of my favourite players. Please ask Darren, uh, Gaza aside, who used to give out the banter on the field at your time at the club? And is there any particular stories that you can remember? I can remember, but I can't reveal. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Steve. Like Gaza was, Gaza was, he was daft. I mean, mad. I mean, really, really mad. I can remember, um, and I can probably say it now because it was thirty years ago. Driving into the training ground with Willie McFall, and this car passed us a million miles an hour, a little mini, and he was like that. And I didn't know. He said, "That's Gaza." He says, "He's not even past his test." <laughs> Um, but I think as I said before about on the pitch as well but off the pitch because we had so many young ones there was a great energy and I I do believe that 
the the experienced ones rubbed off in that as well. They 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 love that. They love the energy of the young kids being daft and stupid and doing things and all that. And um and that's what listen, obviously we were down the bottom of the league, but I think that's what made made us helped us helped us survive because yeah. we did Willie Willie created an incredible atmosphere amongst the boys. I mean you couldn't wait up you couldn't wait to get up in the morning to go to training. I mean we loved football anyway, but just to get with the boys and even like you're talking when Mirror came, Mirror was just brilliant. I mean he was a kind of then he was a superstar, Steve. Yeah. Um Newcastle signing Marindina and the only problem is we did we did need two balls for him in Gaza. I mean, I've never known anything like it, and they they probably didn't didn't really get on with each other on the pitch because they both wanted to be on the ball, mm. but off the pitch they they just loved each other because they they just they, they knew that they were as I say they, they were both geniuses. Um, and but can you remember the the game at? Home. It was a midweek game where Gaza Gaza drove forward and and gave it to Murrah and he wanted a one-two and Murrah goes and has his usual fifty-yard shot and Gaza said something to him and he's run by and Gaza's just ran back to the halfway line, turned round and Murrah was standing there and he just slapped him <laughs> and we were thinking it's going to kick off but as I say off the pitch they, they, they loved each other they were brilliant and even like obviously guys are teaching Mirror the words that you shouldn't be using um, but um, again he was brilliant as well he was great to play alongside and, and as I said he was a star I've got a couple of um, people telling their own stories uh, CCI commentaries on Twitter says Darren was a great character. I remember him winding my mate up when we were ball boys. He picked him up against the wall and just dropped him. Just banter. He said, but he probably would have been sacked in this day and age for doing something like that. <laughs> That's Mark Richardson says, 1985-ish versus Man City at home. Darren swinging them in from the right. We're 1-3-1 if the memory serves us right. I was only 10 or so, but it was a fantastic memory. I was in the Gallagher right at the front where the first aiders were and you could get onto the pitch. It was class. <laughs> no, I, <clears throat> that's I actually wasn't playing. I was in I was in that I just I no long I just signed and I was down for that game because I had to go back to Scotland. Right. So I was just down for that game and I think Gaza scored. I think Tony Cunningham scored. Yeah. Um so but and that was my first and just amazing. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> and even Man City then had good players. Yeah, exactly. Jordino Devo says, uh, what were the differences going from part-time to professional with Newcastle when you came? How long have we got, Steve? I mean, going from Meadowbank, playing in front of 200 people at a run, around a running stadium to 35,000 mad football fans, Geordies, and 10,000, there used to be 5,000 locked outside. What yeah. they want to get in. So, I mean, expectation, like, it, it's, hard, it's hard to really, that's a hard question to answer because everything changed. Every, you're, you're a, I'm a, like, I was part-time, I worked as a printer. Uh, luckily, where I worked, Meadowbank was right across the road, so I used to work overtime and then go over to training, train two nights a week, then, but then you're training, you're training every single day, and like as I say, expectations to, and I've said, mentioned a few times, we were near the bottom of the league, to keep a club like Newcastle in the league, so the demands were on you like were incredible. But that's why you're in the game. That's why you want to play. Like people who don't want to, well, I'm not saying anybody wouldn't want to go to big clubs or who can't handle it. That's why you're in the game. Because you want that, you want that pressure. You want that pressure every every single week, and um, like the pressure of Newcastle going and winning a trophy. It's like a team obviously up here who I played for Hibs hadn't hadn't won a cup for 114 years. I think it was those boys will be legends who won it legends for forever. And I just wish something like that could happen with Newcastle. 
One day, mate. One day. Um, I sent you a photograph last night of you and Gaza, which um, the account Toon Pools sent in. So can you give them a shout out, mate? Because he, uh, he, he really enjoyed meeting you, he says, when he was a kid. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant picture. Um, Karen and I were laughing last night when he came in. I sent it to a couple of my pals. And um, just uh, amazing picture. Um, I, I can say that I started the hanky and the, the wee lapel your your um, jacket. So uh, but it was great and the good one he got. He's looking great. He's looking brilliant in the picture and all that. So it's always nice. Listen, it's always nice to look back on pictures um, from years ago and you got a wee laugh or look what you've got on and all that. But at the time, it was probably fashionable. Um, so, um, but brilliant picture. So thank you very much. Uh, Alan Morton uh, is a Rangers fan. Um, he's saying, could you, tell, could you tell from an early age that Gaza was a special talent, uh, talent Darren? Yeah, I, I, I just I spoke yeah. to you about for the first, the first game where the, the, the team talk was about Gaza and I just thought to myself, and I mean, I tell everybody, Steve, you get asked the question, footballers always get asked, who's the best player, player you played with and who's the best player you played against? And he's both. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky enough, very lucky, <clears throat> to play against Brazil in the, the, the World Cup. And, but Gaza was just, and I, I do believe if he hadn't got his injuries, he would have been the best player in the world. Mm. There's no doubt about it. Um, because he went to Italian 90 and he was the best player in the world. And that tournament, Gaza was the best player. Yeah. And uh, I mean, obviously, he got his injury in the cup final and then. I think he fell down the stairs and was at Walker's. And yes, he, did his, he did his kneecap, and um, and I do honestly believe if he hadn't, he was he was just he was a genius, a complete genius. And then and, and being a Rangers fan, he, he he must have just loved watching him every week. Yeah, they had Loudrup um, as well, but Gaza was just a, a star for Rangers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave Watson says. Uh... Favourite non-NUFC career moment? Signing for Hearts or stopping Rangers 10 in a row? I've got to say, I apologise to the <laughs> stopping, stopping 10 in a row. Yeah, it was, <clears throat> it was a great achievement. Again, Steve, you're talking about pressure. That was pressure because that was history of, of a club. Um, and I, we lost our first two games um, against Hibs and Dunfermline and you're thinking to yourself... Um, God Almighty, this is going to be this is going to be hard, and the fans were beginning to panic after two games. But thankfully, in the end, it all worked out. Uh, Dave Watson also asked, "Who is the most difficult opponent you played against?" You mentioned Gaza, so I said, "Other than Gaza, and who is the best teammate that you played with in your career? Not necessarily Newcastle. You mentioned Gaza and Beardsley. So, is there anybody else? You know, yeah. listen up." On the national level, I played with Gary McAllister, Paul McStay, played with Henrik Larsson, Lubo Miravchik. I mean, wonderful players, incredible players. I mean, Lubo was, Lubo again was, uh, I mean, that's, uh, in my, uh, I picked my all-time um, team that I played with. And the, the front four are Gaza, Lubo, Beardsley and Henrik. <laughs> It's it's not bad it's not bad four so, with McStay with McStay and McAllister behind them so um, so it's I was lucky very lucky Steve to play with some really really gifted players um, and I say this and get criticised sometimes I I was lucky because I wasn't nearly as talented as those boys I mean they were they were stars um, so I've played with a lot and it's it's you don't really want to pick out one or two because then you miss out two or three or four that were, were very close to being the same kind of players. So I could go on and mention loads of players that I was just lucky. Let's move on to uh, Newcastle United uh, nowadays. And I know you do manage to catch a few of the games and, uh, you know, project restart is always going to be difficult for, for everybody because it's, it's a longer layoff than a pre-season, but Newcastle have come back and, and really, uh, you know, really set their stall out. And, um, you know, they're, they're on a, a nice unbeaten run if you don't count the FA Cup. Brilliant. Fantastic. And as you say, you never know what's going to happen. 
Obviously, the, the boys nowadays are so professional, they've looked after themselves, but it's, it's not just about keeping fit, it's that sharpness and, 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 and just getting front in games. I mean, Sheffield United, who have done exceptionally well, obviously they're a great result against Tottenham, but lost a couple before that, but Newcastle were just on them. They, everything was kind of going, and I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for Steve Bruce. I mean, like everyone, <laughs> the pressure because the club could be getting bought over, or who's Pochettino's coming in, or this one's coming in, or that one's coming in, and it must be hot. Like Steve is old enough now; he'll probably not even read it, but he hears things, and he can only listen. All he can do is just keep winning games, and hopefully, when the new owners do come in, they say to themselves, "Yes, we're going to give him a chance. We're going to give him X amount of money to go and see, to go and see what he can do." And I hope they do. Uh, can do that. Um, so, but they've they've really they've really um, come back with the, a real grit and determination. Now, at times, it's no brilliant football, but there does look to see that there's a there's a desire in there to do well. I mean, um, Dwight Gale coming back and getting a goal. He's a goal scorer. Just He just needs that wee bit of a run in the team. And as a striker, it's great to come into a team that's winning because when you come into a team that's losing, you're not creating a lot of, you're not creating a lot of chances. Um, I mean, Almiron, it just, I mean, the wee guy needed a goal, but plays with a smile on his face. And he's obviously a good player and he was really struggling. <coughs> Sorry for a while there, but just needed a goal, you know what I mean? And that just breeds confidence and you get a wee bit of luck with the Bournemouth, the Bournemouth mistake, but then they've got to take it on and they did take it on. So it's, it's, it's great to see. <coughs> sorry, sorry. So it's brilliant to see. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's been an interesting, you know, an interesting time in the world, never mind football. Um, and, and to complicate matters, Newcastle United, as you've alluded to with Steve Bruce's position, uh, are, you know, subject to a potential takeover, which could see them become the richest, you know, the richest team, not just in the UK, but in the world. Um, does Steve Bruce deserve a chance, do you think, as a, as the, as a manager, if, um, you know, the new owners come in? Because when we see new owners come in, they tend to change the head coach manager straight away. 100%, Steve. Why, why not? Why does it have to be someone? And listen, the ones that get mentioned are top top managers. But so is Steve Bruce. He's been about. The, he's been about. Um, he's had a few teams. Now, fans. There will be some fans because he managed Sunderland. I'll be like, no, get maybe get him out or that. But he knows. Everybody knows where his his heart lies. He was a he was a Newcastle one. Never like I I played for Hibs. My dad was a mad Hearts fan. But at the time, that's who came in for me. So I had to go. It's the same with Steve. That was the job that was there. So, so he took it. But everybody knows that he'll be given everything because he's a, he's a fan like everyone sitting in the seat in the stand. Steve Bruce is a fan in Newcastle. And I think sometimes to give someone like that a chance, go and, give, go and see if they can do it. They've got all the money. And I, I, I don't mean go and waste if it doesn't work or we'll just go that by other players but why not give Steve Bruce a chance and to see if he can do it he's done well with what he's had just now and he's spent he's spent a little bit of money but look where they are in the league so if if he can go that next level or maybe the next two levels to see what kind of player they can get to Newcastle the only the, the only thing I would say Steve the, the, and I think it's been the same all throughout for years, it's getting the big boys up to Newcastle. Now, if you pay them well, they might come, but sometimes it's the, it's maybe the wives and the girlfriend, they all want to go to the big cities. They want to go to London, they want to go to Paris, they want to go to Rome, they want to go to Madrid, Barcelona. You know what I mean? It's, it's, that's where it's, it's going to be hard, but um, you can still get boys that once they turn up at Newcastle, I think players who don't probably know like the Almerongs and that coming, they'll be blown away. They will be blown away by playing for Newcastle. Joe Linton struggled uh, is the number nine at Newcastle. Uh, what advice would you give to Joe Linton? Um, you know, 
is it the pressure of the top, do you think, the number nine? I mean, after all those great legends playing in it? Well, I, I don't know if will will he really get will he really get that? I mean, for me to give someone to give a forty million pound player advice is is quite hard. But you've just got to keep going in there because just now, and it's the best time just now because they're scoring goals now, they're making chances. So just keep going in there, and and he obviously got himself a goal, and you just hopefully that's just a, an effect that he's 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 happier in his head. He feels more confident. I'm sure he'll be getting that from the staff and the manager and the players. But just keep getting in there because strikers miss goals. I mean, you, you'll have watched him his, his whole career at Newcastle. And he was, again, was a superstar, Alan Shearer. But you'll have seen Shearer miss a lot of chances. But did it bother him? No. Because he just goes on, because I know I'll get another one. I know I'll get another one and I'll score that. And then misses another one. I know I'll get another chance and scores that. So you just got to take away the getting all hit up inside by missing a chance, just try and forget it. But just keep getting yourself in the box and the chances will come. Since you were retired, you've, you've been a, a, an agent. Um, you've gone into coaching. What, what have you enjoyed the most since you, you, know, since you retired from football? And, and is there any ambition to get back into that side of things? I think it's got to be coaching. Steve, I was lucky we had a good time at Dundee United. I had a, a real good time with Gary Lockett, Wraith Rovers. I had an unfortunate time with Alan Stubbs at um, St Mirren where we, there was only four games. But the love for the game will always be there. I mean, I scout for um, Blackpool with Tommy Johnson. So I'm watching a lot of games just now on video, obviously. But I go to games when, um, before the, the, the lockdown. And I'll always have that always have the passion passion for football it's just it's in your blood it's what you love it's what i was i was meant to do so i don't know if i'll ever get a chance again but um, i'm enjoying the scouting and that's 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 good good stuff um i want to touch on your your international career as well you know darren it's one of those things when players leave the club you don't tend to look at things unless you're doing something like this, and you're doing your research. But you know, you did you did well. You, you were selected for Scotland squads, and you know, you, you must have had a great time. It must have been an immensely proud moment for you to pull on the uh, the blue jersey. Brilliant. Um, I didn't get my first cap till I was 28, um, so it was probably well, it is late in career for for a lot of people. Um, but again, I was probably too inconsistent, and then. Obviously, you grow up a little bit more and the consistency is a lot better, so you get selected. And I went to Euro 96 in France 98, and it was just, I never played at Euro 96, but obviously playing against England at Wembley, where Gaza scored the wonder goal, um, was just, it was amazing. And, and as I said, um, Steve, like, again, and I'm not going on, and I don't like, I was, the squad I played in, I was lucky. Do you know what I mean? The Colin Henrys. Tom Boyd, Colin Calderwood, Andy Gorham, Jim Layton, McStays, McAllister, McCalls, McCoy, Jury, Kevin Gallagher. Do you know what I mean? Just incredible players, international players. Um, so I was, I, I got in and it was great. I was lucky enough to be selected for the, the opening game against Brazil at France 98. And that's something that I'll never be taken away. And it was, it was special. Unfortunately, we lost the game. And unfortunately, we've never been back to a World Cup or a European Championship. So it's, it's quite sad that it's 20, 22 years since uh, we've not been to a tournament. So, uh, but I'm very proud of what I achieved. I never thought, I didn't think I'd maybe get one cap. So to get 28 was brilliant. A couple of uh, football issues, you know, not, not regarding Newcastle. VAR, you mentioned it earlier. Um, you know, have they rushed this a little bit? We've seen another controversial decision with Tottenham the other night. I'm not sure whether you saw it, where there was a, a supposed handball. Jose Mourinho wasn't very happy. And, you know, the replays on Match of the Day and, and subsequent other programmes proved that it wasn't, you know, it should never have been given. But, you know, what, what's your view on VAR? Steve, that was the worst decision I have ever seen in my life. Mm. The boy's fouled. He's facing another way. You've got to put your hand down to try and protect yourself. And the boy stands, a boy's a yard away from him, smashes the ball against him. Now, I don't even know if it hit his arm and goes to Harry Kane and it's chopped off. It's, it was mind-blowing. I just could not believe. And, and I know Mourinho's a bit controversial and sometimes he's a, a little bit much. 
but he was a hundred percent what he said that and that he said when he said if you had to work with the referee, he said I can't because he's in a he's in a he's in an office somewhere in St George's. Mm-hmm. And that's true. The referee's not there. He's no ref the referee's no refereeing the game. It was in, it was absolutely incredible. Now a goal I I, I do agree with goal line technology. Because like if a goal's a goal like and I know I know the, the one that Aston Villa and Sheffield United, that was probably just a one-off issue that they just didn't catch it properly. But I go, I go with the goal line technology, but the VAR, there's got, listen, I was worse, I was the world's worst moaning at referees. But there's got to be mistakes in the game because everything just can't be 100% correct. Now that, that, that I, I think if you were to ask even um, Chris Wilder said, if you were to ask any footballer or any manager, I think they would say that is probably the worst decision they've ever seen. It was incredible. I mean, the boy's falling. The boy's a yard smashed it off him. A handball. I mean, it's got be, they talk about it's got to be deliberate. I mean, to the letter of the law. That, that shouldn't even be the letter of the law. It's hit your hand. It was the same with... Um, Man City Liverpool. Did you see that one when Foden fell... And it just brushed, it just totally brushed his arm. Marius uh, went in and scored. Now, yeah. that was a goal. No, do you know what I mean? That was just, that's no deliberate handball. Yeah. So, um, so I think they've, they've got a lot of, I mean, they're always going to have problems because if it's for you, it's, it's, it's fine, but there's always going to be, you're always going to get against you at some point. So I think there has to be mistakes in the game. Mm. But obviously, you're hoping referees can, and it's harder for because you can sit in a studio, Steve, and there, there could be, say, there could be a Gary Lineker, Alan Sheeranian, right, sitting in a studio, and an incident happens, and there's what? There's maybe 20 cameras around the stadium, and they still can't decide if it was a foul or if it was a penalty or whatever in the studio. So the referee's got a split decision to make. I'm giving a penalty or I'm not giving a penalty. So you, you see how hard it is. And yeah. yes, do they need a hand? Probably because of the, the, the pace of the game nowadays. But there's got to be mistakes. And that, that was, a, that was a, for me, that was the biggest one. We've seen this week Wigan going into administration, which is bizarre after only four weeks. Um, when you start to look into the actual... Um, fit and proper person test it seems a little bit bizarre the EFL need a little bit of coaching on what to do maybe some Richard Masters on that but does it worry you the amount of teams that might go into administration with um, with this COVID lockdown? I think yeah, you've got to worry Steve for football mm. I mean it's going to take a little while and yes there's there's talk obviously Newcastle the people that are coming in have got more money than you could ever, ever wish for but um, a lot of teams I mean up here in Scotland, it's going to be a it's going to be a real struggle for I would think if teams do survive for a few years before we can probably get back to and that we don't spend fortunes. Rangers and Celtic possibly Celtic spent nine million on Edward. Now he's a star. He's going to be he's going to be a top player. Um, but Celtic would never pay over that because up here in Scotland they can't pay over that because. The wages, Steve, you can't go and spend £20 million because a boy at £20 million probably wants fifty grand a week. And up here, we can't afford to pay. Even the Celtic and Rangers could never afford to pay that. So, And it's obviously going to get a lot tighter now. But yes, the answer to the question, I do worry um, for a lot, a lot of teams. But hopefully, down England, with the PFA, hopefully they can, they can help them out. And, um, because you, you, it doesn't matter if it's a big team or a small team. You don't want anyone. Um, and uh, like it looks very strange what's happened with Wigan. Um, and it's, it's sad because the boy Paul Cook had been doing really well and got them on a fantastic run. And then this comes out, it must be a blow to everybody there. 100%. We'll give the last question to Mick on Twitter. He says, who did Darren used to room with at Newcastle? Dave Besson. Dave Besson. Well, that was obviously the first... I roomed with Gaza a couple of times, um, Michael. But then when Dave came, he was he was my roommate and I still keep in touch with him. He was just a magic guy. Brilliant, brilliant boy. And we used to have, we used to have good laughs. I mean, I could probably tell you a couple of... Well, I probably couldn't tell you a couple of stories with Gaza. <laughs> <laughs> and rooms and 
putting beds up against doors so people couldn't get out and all that. And you've got a game, a massive game, playing at Arsenal the next day, and you're just thinking. But that was just young and enthusiastic, and that that was just him. And um, so, but Dave Besant was brilliant, brilliant roommate. Did you manage to sample the uh, the hostilities, the nightclubs, the bars, Darren, when you were in Newcastle, or were you a sensible lad? Now, this is an honest truth, but I used to go up the road nearly every Saturday night. And like at the time, we used to get the train down to London to play when we played London. So I just stayed in the train. When we got to Newcastle, I just stayed in the train right up to Scotland. Um, but, of course, uh, and this, I'll tell you a true story. that And it, it, it was a wake-up call that we had a night out midweek and we were in walkers. And I've never been... I've never been a big drinker, Steve, but I'd had a couple. And um, I remember Peter coming over to me and, and I was joking about and having a laugh with the boys and all that. And I probably wasn't that long there. And as I said, didn't have too much, but I'd had, I'd had a couple. And um, Peter came up and just said, um, do you want to be a football player or a pop star? And I just went, okay then. <laughs> and it was kind of a wake-up call because obviously Peter didn't drink but he was here and he, he, he enjoyed the banter with the boys and all that but it was a, a kind of listen if you want to make it here you've got to be sensible as well so it was it was it was good I, like I, I remember that it was, oh, it was yesterday and that was from in 1990 and then 1986 um, but it was just an old pro just deflating a young kid who was maybe getting carried away no oh, fair play to him. Peter was uh, was the ultimate professional. Like these chocolate, though, Peter, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a Barry Daily Milk before every game. He used to sit in the dressing room and a Barry Daily Milk before every game. Yeah, good stuff. Um, listen, Darren, I could speak to you all day. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. I just would like you to, you know, if you've got any final words for the Newcastle fans uh, who watch this today, who uh, remember you from that, that great uh, period in your career. Listen, all I can say is thank you for the support. I, um, I, I, I felt when I came down, because Newcastle and Scotland are quite close, there was an affiliation there and they did. I could speak to Robbo and a lot of the Archie Gourley and a lot of the, the Scottish boys that were down and they just felt at home. They just felt, you just felt like a, a Jordan. Um, the welcome I got and the, the way I was treated um, the whole time I was down there and even when I was down last year, People coming up, it's just, it's a magical, and like, I'm not saying this, and, and Steve, I don't have to say it to you, I'm not saying this because I want fans to, it's a magical club. There's not, there's, there, there is no, there's, there's not a lot like them, like, the one, the, the, the bigger, like, the, the Liverpools and Man United are, are, are magical clubs as well, and they've had success, and sometimes, I'm not saying people support Man United and Liverpool because, because of success, because they're great clubs, but it's easier when you've got success. But they just—I mean, if you like, I said when I was down, they can. If you put another two tiers on, they would fill it because their life is just football, drinking women in that order. <laughs> <laughs> and it's—and it's true. It's—it's it's absolutely true. And I, I do. I just wish. I just wish they could get a, a good run and get a cup. And they, they deserve anything. Newcastle fans get they deserve because they're just the most loyal fans, I think, around. Great stuff, mate. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. I uh, hope you and the family stay safe and look forward to seeing you back at St James's Park very soon. Brilliant, Steve. Thank you very much. Take care, mate. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.